Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I know there's a lot of frustration and fatigue in this country. And we know why. COVID-19, Omicron has, has, has now been challenging us in a way that uh, it's the new enemy. But while it's caused for concern, it's not caused for panic. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, one year ago, President Biden took office and he gave a speech recapping all of his highs and his lows from the one year anniversary of him being in office. Nick and I are going to break down everything in that speech. Plus, later on in the program, I sat down with Dr. Paul Offit. He's a director of Vaccine Education Center over at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He's also an attending physician there in the Division of Infectious Diseases. Bro, that's a mouthful. And uh, But hey, he's also written a book, You Bet Your Life, which talks a lot about the history of vaccinations in this country. Dr. Offit is a contributor across the television docket, so you can check out that interview in the next segment. First in this segment, I say hello to my partner, Nick Savary. Nick, what's going on, buddy? Anything new since the last time I spoke with you, which is every five minutes because you text me every five minutes. <laughs> no, not really, man. Um, I think, yeah, I was telling you off air. Yeah, I booked my first trip uh, since the pandemic started. So I'm heading down to do some work uh, with some amazing, an amazing school community down in Arkansas. So I'll be down in Little Rock. Uh, I sound like a stand-up comedian. I'll be there the 22nd, 23rd. No. <laughs> yeah. um, do not no, book I'm, that if Nick was uh, going on tour, <laughs> folks. Hey, if you happen to be in the audience for when I, when I do my workshop, the 23rd in Little Rock, Arkansas, you will be in for a treat. I can promise you that much. But no, that's really it, man. Just kind of booking that, which is weird. I haven't been a while since I've had to navigate travel sites and figure you know, out all that stuff. 
it's funny that you bring that up. You know, I, I'm traveling in March as well um, you know, for a friend's bachelor party and flights are ready for that trip have started to get canceled. We're going to get more in the airline travel stuff. We're going to have a travel correspondent coming on in the coming weeks because there's some recent news coming out, you know, from the FAA and specifically some airlines about how 5G could impact not only domestic travel, but international travel. So more on that uh, coming up. Uh, let's get into our main topic. President Biden last week gave a speech. Um, his one year anniversary. This is before the State of the Union address. Uh, you know, marking one year uh, in office uh, since he took over last year for former President Donald Trump. Uh, you know, he acknowledged that the pandemic has left Americans exhausted and demoralized. He, but he insisted at this news conference that he has outperformed expectations. Uh, let's play uh, some clips from that speech. It's been a year of challenges, but it's also been a year of enormous progress. We went from 2 million people being vaccinated at the moment I was sworn in to 210 million Americans being fully vaccinated today. We created 6 million new jobs, more jobs in one year than any time before. Unemployment dropped, the unemployment rate dropped to 3.9%. Child poverty dropped by nearly 40%, the biggest drop ever in American history. New business applications grew by 30%. The biggest increase ever. Thanks to the American Rescue Plan and other actions we've taken, we've seen record job creation, record economic growth in the past year. Now, thanks to the bipartisan infrastructure bill, we're about to make a record investment in rebuilding America to take us to be the number one best infrastructure in the world. Still, for all this progress, I know there's a lot of frustration and fatigue in this country. And we know why. COVID-19, Omicron has, has, has now been challenging us in a way that uh, it's the new enemy. But while it's cause for concern, it's not cause for panic. We've been doing everything we can, learning and adapting as fast as we can, and preparing for a future beyond the pandemic. All I know that after almost two years of physical, emotional, and psychological weight of this pandemic, and the impact it's had on everyone. For many of us, it's been too much to bear. We're in a very different place now, though. We have the tools, vaccines, boosters, masks, tests, pills, to save lives and keep businesses and schools open. Look, we're also increasing testing. Should we have done more testing earlier? Yes, but we're doing more now. We've gone from zero at-home tests a year ago to 375 million tests on the market in just this month. Well, we're not going back to lockdowns. We're not going back to closing schools. Schools should stay open. So a lot to take away from that speech. Um, hey, let me give you some notable numbers, Nick, from Biden's first year. I want to get your takeaways on some of this stuff. 63.5% um, vaccination rate in this country. That is fully vaccinated Americans. Uh, that doesn't include a booster, by the way. That's just two doses. 3.9% uh, jobless rate. He mentioned that in the speech there, the low unemployment rate is one of the big highlights of Biden's first year. And he inherited a coronavirus economy that had unemployment at 6.4% uh, when Trump was leaving office and Biden coming in. Employers added 6.4 million jobs last year as unemployment dropped well below the 4.6% uh, threshold that the Congressional Budget Office had anticipated in July for the end of 2021. Now, the, the negatives. 
inflation. 7% inflation in the running economy. Biden got burned as inflation reached a nearly 40-year high. There's higher prices, which have led, as polls have shown, to disapproval of Biden's economic leadership. Uh, gasoline and groceries have cost more on average. Some notable economists have said higher prices were a sign that Biden's relief package was too large. Speaking of relief, $1 trillion. Oh boy, I, I could use some of that, uh, just, a, just a small fraction of that. Uh, the cost of Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law, which includes $550 billion in new spending, he mentioned it there in the speech about bridges and roads, uh, excuse me, bridges and roads. Um, then there's been other stuff, you know, obviously what happened at Kabul airport, trying to get those troops out and the, and the 13 deaths that happened um, with, with that and the 160 Afghans that were killed in that terrorist attack. 1.78 million border crossings in the Southwest. Migrants have began streaming across the U.S.-Mexico border once Biden became president. Um, so that, you know, there's been a lot at the border and we've done an episode on the border. There's been 20 natural disasters from extreme weather and climate and here in the U.S., which has brought damages in excess of $1 billion and has killed 688 people. That's a lot of people. Uh, and that, we've talked about climate change. It's real. And when you see a number like that, you know, that's money that we're going to have to pay back, folks. I don't know if you know how this works. Uh, but Nick, give me some of your takeaways uh, in Biden's year one and some of his takeaways from the speech. Yeah, I, you know, we talked about messaging recently. And, you know, something I said on an episode was it sometimes feels a little too, a little too, little too late. You know, for Democrats right now, talking about voting rights, you know, this was an energy that we needed very early on in the administration. Having said that, you know, this has felt like the longest first year for a president, maybe since Franklin Roosevelt. Um, you know, we're coming out of, you know, in the process of still living through a pandemic, but in a far better place. And I think that was one of the important points that President Biden brought up, brought up is that, you know, with the growing vaccination rate, you know, we as a country continue to thrive in the midst of a global health crisis and we're getting a handle on it. We're not where we need to be. I sound like him now, or speechwriter is, yeah, but we continue to get better. Um, you know, funny enough, you know, when we think about inflation, but we're also thinking about an increase in jobs. And, and to me, the math may well be that, you know, if we're charging more for goods and services, that is increasing revenue for companies who then therefore are using that revenue to then employ more people. Because we saw in the midst of the pandemic, when you have a reduction in consumption in terms of purchasing, inevitably, if I'm a business and I'm generating less revenue, I'm going to have to start cutting people. So what happens? You know, you raise prices and you start hiring more people. That's actually a good thing. And those two, those things may potentially be conditional. So when you see something about high inflation, you have to ask yourself, you know, for the high cost of goods, goods and services, what's the payoff? And in this case, it may well be the fact that we're also seeing a spike in employment, which is also critical too. Um, but ultimately, I think the track record has, has gone fairly well. Um, you know, and it's funny because we talk about what this past year has been in Afghanistan comes to mind immediately because, you know, the ending of a legacy, our longest, you know, our longest conflict uh, in American history and not without damage on the way out, you know, and the, the numbers you gave. And those are and those are things that are part of the reality. That's going to be part of Biden's legacy is a, a just a not as crafted, not as well crafted plan of withdrawing troops as it could have been. And we had someone on the show that talked about that there were opportunities for advisors and other people to approach the president and talk about more of a long-term reduction in our presence, which didn't happen. 
and for potentially political reasons or you know, for reasons of expediency, you're, we're left with what we're left with. Having said all that, we are, are, we are Af- out of Afghanistan and then the greater good, that means something. But ultimately, I think it's a good summary of where, where the president is you know, and where we're going, which right now is very much the fight about voting rights. Yeah. You know, I, I, there were so many um, takeaways that I had from that speech, you know, and then there's a bunch of other numbers too, that I didn't even give, you know, Biden has conf- uh, confirmed 41 judges, you know, the big thing when Trump was in office of obviously everybody knows the Supreme court judges, but all the federal uh, judges that he also confirmed as well. And this is more than any of his recent predecessors um, at the same time in their presidencies uh, th- that Biden has confirmed 41 judges. Let's, no. let's pause on that for a second, because that's an important detail that when we think often about politics, we, t- we tend to think about the influence at the federal level. Right. You know, when you're having an, a, gr- a growth of federal judges, we're talking about, you know, in, in states, you know, we're having that influence. What we saw previously with the Trump administration is you had far right leaning judges, an example of which, though, he wasn't necessarily confirmed during that administration is the judge who presided over the Kyle Rittenhouse case. And you and I have talked about some of the things that we saw were just ast- astonishing you know, about that behavior. Go ahead and scale that up, because that's the kind of judge that, that the former president was bringing in. One good example of which is someone like J- Judge Amy Comey Barrett. But, you know, to see what's happening on the other side. And again, we don't talk nearly about that. And I was glad to hear the president talk about the fact, and we've seen some in the media mention, you know, how many federal judges are coming through this White House, which plays a huge role in, you know, where's the role of politics in the courtroom? You know, Nick, just for uh, fairness here, I I was looking at when we were preparing to talk about this Trump, Trump's uh, first year in office and how the economy was, was improving under Trump. Unemployment rate had fallen in the first year, 4.8% to 4.1%. So it's good to see that Biden has it a little bit lower than that. The problem is, you know, we talked about the inflation and prices, price of goods. Inflation in, in Trump's first year uh, went down to 2.1% as of December 2017. So, you know, again, different comparisons in terms of what they both did policy-wise, and we can get into that, you know, and bring somebody on the program to discuss more of that. But, you know, there's been a lot of highs and lows for President Biden. The one that's been a consistent for both of them, the backdrop for both of them, has been the pandemic. The pandemic has been, you know, at the forefront of people's minds, and at least in 2020. In 2021, it started to move to the back of people's minds and the Delta came in and now back to the front of the minds and then Delta leaves and now it's Omicron or Delta still around. So there's so, there was so much confusion about CDC guidelines. You know, there was so much trying to get a mask. You know, you and I have not done an episode about COVID since the second episode of this program. And before we bring on an expert to talk about, uh, you know, COVID and, and the recent Omicron wave in Dr. Paul Offit, I wanted to get your takeaways of, now year two, or technically going into year three of, of COVID-19 and the different variants being around and what that's meant for you. I know a lot of people know that your, your wife is, is a physician there at, at a hospital uh, in the PA area. So what, what has it been like in the Severi household uh, in terms of you know, talking about you know, the, the virus, how it's affected the family, et cetera, et cetera. Cause we haven't really done something like that since the second episode of this program. Yeah. You know, for, for me personally, it's a lot of education 
you know, my wife sees firsthand, you know, as a pediatric, pediatric ICU doctor, you know, what's been happening in her hospital. And, you know, what we always come back to is the importance of vaccinations, not just at her place, but hospitals across America, you know, we constantly see this reminder that the unvaccinated, unvaccinated are the ones that keep coming into the hospital. And as these variants continue to shift, and Omicron has been far more like far more contagious than Delta, less severe we're learning, but but far more likely to get it. And Mike, as a person in New York, eventually, very shortly, you're going to be leaving. You know, a lot of my coworkers in New York, our main offices in the city and pretty much anyone in the city at this point has very likely gotten it or know someone who has. But you know, to be vaccinated is to prevent the likelihood of being hospitalized. So for us, it's it's tense. You know, honestly, our our oldest is now vaccinated, and that's meant a lot. You know, for her being in school, and you know, just considering all that that means in terms of the value of in person learning. But we have a soon to be two year old who's not eligible to be vaccinated yet, and that will be for you know, hopefully for a few more months, depending on the clinical trials and whatnot. So you know, you're always mindful of the fact that anyone who comes in our home, which is a very rare occurrence for us. Um, are they vaccinated? You know, where have they been? You know, we've actually given home tests, you know, very, you know, so, you know, we tend to be very mindful and careful about who is around us and our kids because, you know, we have a little one that is not fully protected yet. What I've learned in this pandemic time has really been um, a lot and it's been more on people themselves uh, and their reactions towards um <laughs> Their reactions towards not trusting the medical community about this, but previous years trusting the medical community about everything else. You know, so if I if I have a friend who's knee deep in uh, the conspiracy theories, which I, I I know somebody up here in the New York area that is, and all of a sudden. Uh, that person is not into conspiracy theories when his wife has to give birth at a hospital, right? He's not, he's not into conspiracy theories when he's buying a new Apple watch for himself, right? He's not into conspiracy theories when he's paying for a credit card and all those things are, are trackable, but he is into conspiracy theories about the vaccination and it causing or, or implanting a microchip in you. I, I'm, I'm being serious when I say this, you know, cause you think about a show like this, right? Uh, we're trying to give news and information and we're trying to bring on experts in their field and then the backdrop is you and I go to our separate places and, you know, over text messages, we'll talk about this stuff. And I, the, the coronavirus has taught me that I never knew some, some of the way people analyzed or thought about things. Uh, I'm not talking about the celebrity folks now, because we've seen, you know, who has come to the forefront uh, 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 in terms of being, you know, an idiot for lack of a better phrase, you know, we've seen it. From the Aaron Rodgers to you know to the Kyrie Irvings of the world, and I'm not even talking about them. I'm I'm talking more about in your own personal life. If you're listening to this program right now, I'm sure you know somebody out there that all of a sudden has listened to another program or has gone down the rabbit holes of and I'm using air quotes researching uh, this topic, the vaccines themselves, uh, because I know because I've gotten text messages and you know just in conversations with folks that I've uh, I've seen over the last few weeks as we're leaving the New York area, this has come up and it's like, boy, where are you getting that from? And right, it's the basis for our show. We started that because it was, where are you getting that from? And you and I, Nick, both went through training of how you should vet where you're getting that from because before you publish it, 
as a journalist, right? Before you publish it, you need to have two sources that are verified for it. And then your editor still has to approve it. And so I wanted to bring that into, into a medium like this. And, and I just find it funny that if you had told me when we recorded that episode in November of 2020, that we'd be sitting here in January of 2022 with the amount of misinformation that has come out about a life-saving vaccine that in the next segment, this, this doctor will tell you is a, a modern miracle, a modern miracle. And we've had other people mention that it's, I, I, I just, that's been my biggest takeaway about this. Nick and I have talked about this ad nauseum, go get vaccinated folks. And, and if you're not vaccinated yet, and you're still hesitant, you don't, you don't know why you don't even want to talk to your primary care physician, which you should. Okay. Listen to Dr. Paul Offit. In the next segment, Dr. Offit will be on the program. Again, he's an attending physician over at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He's in the Division of Infectious Diseases. He's the director of their Vaccine Education Center. He's also the author of the book, You Bet Your Life. You can see him across the media circuit. Dr. Paul Offit, when we come back after the break. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. All right, joining us now to talk about all the latest Omicron news is Dr. Paul Offit. Uh, Dr. Offit, Mike Leon, uh, thank you so much for hopping on the Can We Please Talk podcast today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Dr. Offit, before we get into it, I was thinking about this in, in preparing to talk with you. Um, and I'm sure a lot of medical professionals are going through something similar, right, where we're seeing a virus and we're seeing vaccines becoming so polarized politically. How, how are you doing, um, just you in general, like, how are you doing dealing with people with misinformation or even helping patients, you know, through vaccine hesitancy? How are you dealing as a medical professional with all of this? No, it's really hard. I mean, I can safely say before this pandemic started, there, there was not a year that would go by where we didn't see a child come into our hospital with a vaccine preventable disease that wasn't vaccinated. You know, like, for example, influenza. Um, or pneumococcus, or, you know, or chickenpox. I mean, we would see that occasionally. But this is a whole different world. I mean, now, you know, you have had since November the 3rd, um, a vaccine available for children over five years of age. And months before that, you had a vaccine available for children over 12. I mean, the last time I was on service, we admitted 18 children to either into the hospital or into the intensive care unit with COVID. Um, all but one were five years of age or older, and not one of them was vaccinated. I mean, if you look at vaccine rates for the 12 to 15 year old, 50% of children aren't vaccinated. For the five to 11 year old, 70% of children aren't vaccinated. So not only were they not vaccinated, their parents weren't vaccinated, their siblings weren't vaccinated, which is invariably where they got it from. And so you watch these children suffer, you watch them be wheeled up to the intensive care unit, get be sedated so that you can put a tube down into their windpipe and attach them to a ventilator. You watch the parents crying and you would think all of this was preventable. And it's just really hard. You know, medicine has limits. There's so many things we don't know. There's so many things we can't do. This we know, this we can do, and people choose not to do it. 
Yeah, I think that's been the one surprising thing that I've found in life. And and I, I always see you doing the TV hits, and that's tougher to kind of articulate in a two-minute hit. But here on a podcast, I'm, I'm super appreciative of you saying that. I want to get into the latest Omicron news because you know we've seen how this virus has affected the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. It's been talked about ad nauseum. Um, what would you say to a patient that you have? You just gave that example, but somebody that is still unvaccinated at this point, what is your message to them? The goal of a vaccine, or a vaccine for any of the, for this kind of infection, but meaning a so-called respiratory mucosal infection like influenza, is not to protect against all symptomatic illness. It's to protect against moderate to severe symptomatic illness, meaning the kind of illness that causes you to seek medical attention or go to the hospital or go to the ICU or go to the morgue. That's the goal of this vaccine, a goal that has remarkably been met. I don't, I don't think any scientist on this planet would have predicted that two doses of an mRNA-containing vaccine being given close together, meaning three to four weeks apart, would provide this level of long-term immunity against severe illness, meaning level frequencies of memory B cells and memory T cells like T helper cells and cytotoxic T cells, which mediate protection against serious illness, would be this long-lasting. I think everybody assumed you would need a boost four to six uh, months later. And although we do boost, it doesn't in any sense affect protection against serious illness, which is already there, has been long lived, and most importantly, has been true for all the variants. It doesn't matter which of the four variants have come into this country, still those vaccines protect against moderate to severe illness. It's amazing. It is the greatest medical accomplishment in my lifetime, and my lifetime includes the development of the polio vaccine. That is, you know what, I hope this falls on the right ears for everybody listening out there as to why you should get vaccinated. I, I wanted to bring in a couple of uh, different articles and, and something that you wrote in the Washington Post a while back. But there was a recent study last week about, you know, Omicron being inherently milder than Delta. And specifically in your area of expertise with kids, children among five years old with a reduction in hospitalizations. Do, do you recall what that study found result wise and why? maybe parents of kids similar to myself that have kids under five that are not available to get vaccinated, why we shouldn't be maybe as worried? Well, so here's what I would say. The, the, there's a study out of uh, Cleveland, Case Western Reserve, another study out of California trying to answer the question, is Omicron infection less virulent than Delta infection? And I think the answer is consistently yes, um, either for admission to the hospital, admission to the ICU, requirement for mechanical ventilation, death, all true. Um, is that also true for children? Yes, it extends down to the five to 11 year old as well. Um, and and it's, we're, we're sort of seeing that to some extent, which is to say that more we're seeing upper respiratory tract infections, meaning croup, bronchiolitis, which involves, you know, the windpipe or the first or second branch of the lung and not seeing so much lower respiratory illness, meaning pneumonia. So I do think Omicron is to some extent less virulent, but, but, but less virulent doesn't mean avirulent. It doesn't mean that you're not going to, in any sense, be uh, likely to be hospitalized or, or, uh, or go to the ICU. And I think this notion of, hey, look, this is the live viral vaccine we were all waiting for. Um, and so let's just lean back, take off our masks, don't worry about it, and get infected with Omicron and have this booster, essentially, that will protect us for the rest of our lives is a bad idea. You never want to be infected naturally. And in fact, I'd like to know who Mother Nature's public relations team is, because she has been trying to kill us ever since we called out of the ocean onto land. You know, virologists don't, for circulating viruses use the term wild type virus. There's a reason for that. 
you know, I, I can only, you know, pivot it to my area of expertise, which is working in media. So it's almost like one of those things where it's like, I've worked there, you don't know what's going on. I'm telling you that this is what's going to happen. And I, that's why I appreciate uh, you, you not only coming on the program, but the hits that you do on television, really articulating some of this stuff, because to the lay person like me, who does trust doctors and science, <laughs> uh, this is super helpful. But listen, I wanted to ask you, because you are on the FDA advisory committee, um, when do you think the FDA or, or have they started looking at mm-hmm. vaccines for kids younger than age five? What, what would you need to see from the data to at least get you to give an approval from you and your colleagues? In terms of when, you know as much as I do. I mean, we, we will be, um, we have dates set aside starting from the beginning of February through, um, through March and even April. Um, but those dates, when we, we, as we get closer, if they don't think they need them, they ask us to eliminate them. So I, I can tell you that when at a recent advisory committee for immunization practices meeting at the CDC, Pfizer stated that they had planned to submit data to the FDA in April. More recently, they stated that they plan to submit to the FDA in March. Um, what I would like to see is what we saw for the five to 11 year old, which is that, that independent of the, which age it was, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, that, it, that if the, they chose a single dose and a single dosing interval, that, that you had consistent protection against all those ages because developmentally a five-year-old is not the same as an 11-year-old. Secondly, you want to see that they did an efficacy study. I would like to see an efficacy study. There's enough circulating virus that you should be able to see an efficacy study, even for, for studies that have, say, 2,400, 2,500 children, which is what we saw for both the 5 to 11-year-old and 12 to 15-year-old. I, I would prefer not to just see a so-called immunobridging study where they say, look, we have this level of neutralizing antibodies. And if you compare it to studies that similarly, which where they did efficacy studies and they had that level of neutralizing antibodies, then we can say that we have the same level of protection. I hope that's not what we're asked to do because I don't think you can extrapolate that. I'd like to see an efficacy study. Um, and I, obviously the most important thing above all is safety, that they have enough children when you feel comfortable that it's safe. And, and the, the reason I do feel good about that is that if you looked at, at myocarditis, which is, was a surprise, I mean, no one expected that you were going to see heart inflammation as a consequence of the mRNA vaccine. Um, that was primarily a, a disease of the 16 to 17-year-old boy. Um, when you went down to 12 to 15 years of age, it occurred much less frequently. That was good. And now as you go down to the 5 to 11-year-old, about 8 million children have been vaccinated. You haven't seen it at all. So I, I feel better than about the less than 5-year-old. You know, let me, I want to get into a listener question because it's kind of in that realm of the long-term data so far. And I know, you know, the vaccines have only been around for maybe under 18 months. So this is from a listener. uh, This comes from Crystal in Long Island. And she writes that she has two little girls that are ages five and three. So kind of in that, right on that cusp of getting vaccinated for the older one and the younger one still not available yet. But she has concerns about the vaccine for kids and long-term effects for kids who have not hit puberty yet. Um, obviously, you're in charge of a children's hospital, or at least you work at a children's hospital. What, what would you say about the long-term effects for kids that have not reached the pubescent phase? You know, we've been giving vaccines to children um, since since really the late 1700s. I mean, the smallpox vaccine was given. I got the smallpox vaccine. I'm a child of the 50s. Um, you know, it was given in the first, sometimes in the first few days of life. Often, at least, certainly by the end of the first year of life. Um, So we've been giving vaccines to children for a couple hundred years. The way vaccines work is they induce an immune response, which usually peaks 7, 10, 14 days later, and then that immune response fades. When you see side effects from vaccines, and vaccines can cause serious side effects. I mean, side effects that can cause permanent harm, side effects that can cause death. It's true. I mean, the, the oral polio vaccine. 
was a rare cause of polio. I mean, it occurred in one per 2.4 million doses. It was extremely rare, but it was real. But when those things occur, all those sort of side effects that can occur with vaccines, including serious side effects, I can think of none that have occurred beyond two, two months of getting a dose. So the notion that people have of, well, how do you know five years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now? Well, you don't. Um, but there has not been an example of that. The only one I can think of actually is, is that the, the oral polio vaccine, when given to an immune compromised host, meaning somebody who was say on cancer chemotherapy or something like that, there the, they could get polio, you know, sometimes months later, not necessarily two months later. Um, but but that, that, we don't use that vaccine anymore in this country. So I really don't, I just don't think it's uh, anything we've really seen. So I, I wouldn't worry about that. You know, one of the things that's come up in casual conversations with me and, and other, uh, not only listeners, but friends uh, of the show, friends in general, is some of the mixed messaging and confusion around CDC guidelines. One of the things I tell people is, hey, it's guidelines. It's not laws. You know, guidelines means, you know, you follow them. You try to be respectful as best as you can. Um, one of the examples was recently, um, if someone is negative in a household, but everybody else has tested positive, and then after five days of showing negative tests through PCR, rapid tests, they come out negative. The person was like, well, can I go out? What do the guidelines say? What would you advise someone who's listening to the program that you know follows these guidelines in terms of what's the safest thing to do when you are unsure? Yeah, it, it's a mess. I certainly agree with that, especially testing. I think testing has just become really confusing for people, and including me. Um, I, I would say this, that, that if you have COVID, that you should, should quarantine yourself until you no longer have symptoms. I mean, it, and if within five days, say you no longer have symptoms, then I think you can go out into the world. And if you're indoors um, around other people, you should wear a mask, you know, have preferably a tight fitting mask um, for at least another five days. And I would argue at least for the next, say, four to six weeks until this settles down, and it will settle down, much as it settled down last winter when we didn't have for the most part of vaccine and much less population immunity, I, I would just wear a mask indoors at least for the next, say, at least till mid or late February anyway, even if you're vaccinated. I think if you're exposed to somebody who, who's infected, um, I think you should probably just assume you may have the, the virus and you don't have to quarantine yourself. Uh, assuming you don't have symptoms, if you're asymptomatic, preferably vaccinated, um, I think you should just wear a mask indoors anyway. But so I think here's how to make it easy. Just if you're sick, stay inside till you're asymptomatic. Um, and then if you're indoors for the next couple of months, just wear a mask. Dr. Offit, um, the word research has become a buzzword uh, across the landscape. And you hear the, you know, the term or at least the phrase, I'm doing my own research. And it, it makes everyone either laugh, uncomfortable, you start to move in one direction or the other. Somebody that's listening to this program, they actually want to do Research in terms of like scholarly articles, opinions, you know, similar to like what we're doing, maybe even listening to a podcast with somebody like yourself featured on it. What's a way that you would advise them besides a consultation as, as your pediatric, but what was a way that you would advise them to actually research and look up data about why they should get vaccinated, why their kids should get vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You're not going to like this answer, but here's what I would say to you. If you, if somebody says to me, look, I want to, I want to um, do my research on mRNA vaccines, or I've done my research on mRNA vaccines, typically what that means is they've read people's opinions about mRNA vaccines on the internet. That's what it really means. If you want to really do your research on mRNA vaccines, you should read the primary data that have been generated with mRNA vaccines. 
Um, you know, the, the, uh, the original research, as well as the phase one, phase two, phase three data, which is published in terms of how those vaccines were made. You should also understand how mRNA vaccines work. Um, and, and I think to do that, needs, you need some understanding of, of virology, molecular biology, and, and then regarding uh, the, how, how well the vaccine works or whether it's safe, epidemiology. I think few people actually have that expertise. I think few doctors actually have that expertise. I mean, so what do we do? What we do is we, rec we, we rely on advisory bodies that at least collectively have that expertise, at least collectively have read all those articles, like the FDA's Vaccine Advisory Committee or the CDC's so-called Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices, those groups have gone through all those data and then make recommendations. So, so what I'm, I'm saying that no one will buy into in, in, in the year, uh, to what, it, what is this year, 2022 or something like that? Um, I think what no one buys into is trust us, we're experts, because you, know, you want to believe that you, you can be empowered to be your own advocate. And we do that in medicine. We say, you know, here, read this. And, and, you know, and we sort of seed our expertise in many ways. I just, when people say to me, they've done their own research, they've made a decision. I know that they haven't really done the research because it, it's too much to ask to do the research. I, I think it, it's really hard out there because, because medicine uh, or medical innovations in, invariably come with a cost, with a human price. And, and it's, it's hard to accept. I, it's been, certainly been true here. No one would have expected myocarditis as a consequence of mRNA vaccines. No one would have expected blood clots, including serious blood clots, including fatal blood clots associated with these so-called vectored virus vaccines like the, uh, the J&J vaccine or the AstraZeneca vaccine. So you want to try and, and get a hold of that yourself so that you can be empowered to do it. But to really do that requires an expertise that most people, and if it makes feel any better, people feel any better, most doctors don't have. There, there's a message no one's going to buy, but you can have it on your podcast. Listen, Dr. Offit, the tagline of the show is we talk to people who know what they're talking about. I want to do as a former news producer, I wanted to get back to some expert uh, scholarly opinion and insight. And, and you don't get my opinion because who am I? You get Dr. Paul Offit's opinion. Uh, Dr. Offit, he's the director of vaccine education. He's director of vaccine education center and an attending physician over at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Also, you can go get his book. You bet your life from blood transfusions to mass vaccination, the long and risky history of medical innovation. Dr. Offit, I can't thank you enough uh, for all you do to continue to inform the public, but also for your patients out there in the Philadelphia area. I'm sure they're, they are thrilled that you are their doctor. Thank you so much for appearing on the program today. Continued success and stay safe. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. All right. Our thank yous to Dr. Paul Offit. Like I mentioned, if you, go, you want to go get his book, uh, You Bet Your Life. It's available now wherever books are sold. You know, he's telling me Nick off air about that book and, you know, what his intended goal was with it to really do a deep dive on the history of vaccines and the sacrifices that, you know, 
have gone into, you know, making vaccines. Uh, unfortunately, some of it, you know, with human life, which he, you know, alluded to a little bit in the interview. Um, but he, you can see Dr. Offit across the television dial. He's he's on the FDA advisory board, like I mentioned. If you're in the Philadelphia area, he's the professor of pediatrics over at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So um, you are lucky to have him uh, if, if he's your primary care physician for your kids, because he was great. Uh, Nick, some of your takeaways uh, from the interview. Yeah, you know, first there was a <laughs> there was a lot to take in. Um, you know, first I I was just astounded by just the brutal honesty in a couple of places. You know, first the the just the brief history of vaccines. You know, going through the fact that even with the polio vaccine, you know, we had seen cases where the vaccine wasn't as effective. But he also brought up the fact that over time that vaccine has evolved and the one that people had pointed to as being a problem has been replaced. You know, he also points to um, a really important detail, just his level of astonishment at how effective this current vaccine has been. Um, You know, he had mentioned it just being essentially a miracle, you know, in, in modern science. And here's a person who, as we talk about all the time, and I'll say this is a tagline till the day I die, or I'm no longer with CWPT, but, you know, we talk to people who know what they're talking about. To talk to someone who knows what they're saying, in this case, who's talking, who's just astounded you know, by the success of the vaccine, pointing to the fact that we're seeing hospitalizations. And he also brought up, I, I hope you all caught this, about recent cases he's seeing in his hospital. And we're talking about children unvaccinated who also are the children of parents who are unvaccinated. You know, for HIPAA reasons, I'll leave my wife out of this one. But, you know, in another Pennsylvania hospital where my wife works, it's a similar thing. You know, what we're seeing with vaccine information right now is that those who are vaccinated are not the ones in hospitals. The gross majority are unvaccinated. So to have someone speak from that level of expertise and point out the you know, simple things like that, but then also talk about how just amazing this vaccine has been says everything, you know, and Mike, I thought, I thought you brought up a really good point is, you know, for you and I, we're not the medical experts. We're fortunate enough to have people on the show who are, and to have him talk about why this has been successful. And also I just have to bring up research. I really liked his point about, yeah. you know, off, you know, like when people say they're doing their own research, A, he wasn't necessarily dismissive. He simply said, okay, well, understand that typically what people consider research is they're looking at other people's opinions online. If you are interested, and he also mentioned that doctors will point you to sound research. They are not holding this back from you. They are empowering patients to go learn about this stuff. But what he's going to tell you to look at is particular reports. The type of reports that are not necessarily cited, um, you know, by by certain people, and I'm going to leave his name out, but I think you all know who I'm talking about. But people who do this random Google article search, who are just producing just pure bullshit, and Doctor Offit's not is just not playing that game. So, you know, those are a couple of takeaways I had. But honestly, as I was just listening, um, just a lot came up for me about just his assurance to the vaccine and to what's going on right now, the reality of what's happening in ICUs for children, um, but also just recon- recognizing how far we've come and that important detail about the level of severity with the Omicron variant being different than Delta, but particularly for those who are vaccinated. If you are vaccinated and you happen to very likely get this, this particular variant because it is spreading far more quickly, less likely to have a level of intensity that's requiring hospitalization if you are vaccinated. 
Listen, I thought he was, you, you're right. He was super candid. Um, I've seen him across the television dial. I invited him on. I, I find that, you know, when I hear him speak in a two, three minute segment, I've understood more from him than other doctors I've seen circulate across the media landscape. So he's a great listen. Again, our, our big thank yous to Dr. Paul Offit. Like I mentioned, he's the director of the Vaccine Education Center, and he's an attending physician over at the uh, Division of Infectious Diseases at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. That is a mouthful to say. Uh, practice it about four times already, and I've messed it up. So um, our thank yous to him. Uh, as always, you can check out the video of this interview on YouTube. Head to our YouTube channel and just type in, can we please talk? You know, check out all of the video clips of not only this interview, but some of the other interviews of guests we've had on the program, audio podcast platforms, you know, by now, please leave us a five-star review and comment. You can now leave reviews on Spotify. So please leave us a five-star review there. Uh, Shout out as always, I keep mentioning them, our new hosting platform, Acast. You can now donate to this program. Click on the link in the show notes to be able to do that. So we can continue to bring you guys fantastic content week in and week out like Dr. Offit on the program today. As always, I'm Mike Leon. Proud to do the work that we're doing and proudly bring every Mike did. I'm Nick Saveri. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.